This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast. Today is Friday, August 24th, 2018. I am your host, Patrick Moran. And I'm back after a little mini break. I took a minute off to drive home from Buffalo back to Florida over this past weekend. And then I took a few more days to get reacclimated with stuff back home. I loved, loved spending six weeks in Buffalo to begin this summer. Buffalo will always be home to me. I'll always love it. But man, you know what? It also feels great to be back in my very comfortable home studio here in Bradenton, Florida. I wanted to make sure we return with a big show today, and that's exactly what we are doing. That's because I'll be joined by former Buffalo Bills center and one of the team's most popular players of this era, Eric Wood. And I'll tell you what, I'm still trying to get used to saying the word former player when mentioning Eric, but you know what? It's all good. He's doing good. This podcast episode is without question, one of my best and most candid interviews with the guests yet. Eric talks in incredible detail about all the events that led him to having to suddenly retire and exactly how all that went down. We also talk about his football career dating all the way back to Little Loop in high school, how he felt about becoming a captain and leader of the Bills, some of the high and low points of his time in Buffalo, We talk about the current 2018 Bills, including his thoughts on the quarterbacks and the O-line without him and Richie Incognito. Talk about all that, much more, including, of course, some chicken wing chat. Right after that, my buddy Joe from NYC joins for a run-in with Joe segment. Me and Joe are talking about his selfie last weekend with Ronda Rousey. You know what? That kind of had me jealous some WWE SummerSlam thoughts, and of course, some Buffalo Bills talk as the Bills get ready to take on Cincinnati this Sunday in a game that rookie first-round pick Josh Allen will be starting. Getting back to Eric real quick, I'm calling my shot right now. I don't like to make a lot of bold predictions on this podcast because if I've learned one thing, it's that you could be right nine times, and that tenth time when you're finally wrong That's literally all people will remember and they'll use it against you every single time. But like I said, I don't care. I am calling my shot right now. After talking with Eric for nearly an hour and hearing some of the stuff he's done previously, within two years, Eric Wood is going to be a major player in the mainstream media as a football analyst. I don't know if it'll be TV or radio. 
I don't know if it'll be college football or the NFL, but mark my words, you're going to be hearing and seeing him all over in the coming years. There may even come a day where Eric Wood is more known for his analyst work on TV or radio than he ever was as a football player, which of course is saying a lot. You heard that shit here first. I'm telling you now, Eric Wood's future is going to be in the media and he's going to be incredibly good at it. I got a packed podcast today, so let's just get right to it. Here is my interview with Eric Wood, followed immediately by the running with Joe. My guest today is a former first round pick of the Buffalo Bills in 2009, who went on to play for nine seasons. He was one of the true leaders of this era of Buffalo Bills football. After Kent Hall, he's perhaps the greatest center in franchise history. And despite being forced into an early retirement, he remains one of the most popular players who ever put on a Bills uniform. I'm talking, of course, about Eric Wood. What's up, Eric? Thanks for popping on this podcast. Big thrill to have you on today. Absolutely. I'm a fan of the show, and it's an honor to be on with you. Well, the honor is definitely all mine. I'm going to kind of go back the same format that I like to do with all my guests, the objects to kind of get fans to get to know you a little bit better besides just your time with the Buffalo Bills. So, you know what? Let's go all the way back to the beginning. You're from Cincinnati, Ohio. Did you grow up a Bengals fan? Yeah, I did. I grew up a big Bengals fan. Um, when I was a fan of the Bills, when I can remember, I think they made the Super Bowl in 88, so I was two years old at that time. I don't remember that. And then, similar to the time I spent in Buffalo, um, they went through a really long playoff drought, a, a, a tough time, and then Marvin Lewis came along, takes them to the playoffs right as I'm in college, and then I get drafted by the Bills, and then the Bengals want to start going to the playoffs every year. So I... <laughs> I, I, I struggle to root for them. I, I want my buddies in Cincinnati who root for them to be happy. It's good for the city uh, of Cincinnati when they're good. It's good for people who own restaurants and bars and whatnot. But, man, um, I rooted for them for so long, and they stunk. And then, you know, they're an AFC team. I definitely can't root for them on a week-to-week basis unless maybe they're playing someone in the division or, of course, last year, uh, the Ravens at the end of the year. Um, so that was definitely tough. When did you first start playing organized football? How old were you? Do you remember? I was nine years old. So you had mentioned the early retirement. So it's been 23 years since I've been able to make any plans after late July. So this has been an interesting time. Were you always a lineman as far back as you can remember when you were a kid? Did you play other positions? You know, when I was real young, I played line on both sides of the ball. And then in high school, I shifted to tight end for a few years, and then my senior year, I went back to offensive line, um, which ultimately ended up being a good choice. I was a backup tight end my junior year of high school, so uh, the prospects weren't great of uh, moving on to college football from there. <laughs> now, you went to Elder High School in Cincinnati, and you guys won two state titles. What's that like as a high school kid being a state champion? Not just once, but twice. And, you know, I imagine you were one of the team's better players back then as well. What's that feeling like walking around the campus, you know, a state champion in high school? Because there's only a handful of teams in each state that get to call themselves champions. Yeah, it was neat. And Ohio is a football-rich state. You know, for a long time, you know, one of the hottest tickets were uh, these high school football games in Cincinnati. And, and there's, some, there's some really good football in southern Ohio. Um, I went to Elder High School. Um, but there's some other really good programs around there. Our high school has been nationally ranked countless times and never won a national or sorry, a state title. So to win two back to back was pretty special and it hasn't been done since there. So, um, you know, it was some awesome memories 
I'm buddies with a lot of my high school friends that I played with still to this day. We take lake trips together and our wives are friends now. So it was special. We, we would have those bonds, whether we, uh, won the state titles or not, but it gives us some, uh, really cool memories to talk about when we get together. Yeah, that's really cool. Now for college, you chose to go to Louisville. Why did you decide to go there? And what were a few of the other schools that you considered going to? Well, it's an easy question to answer because I only had one scholarship offer. So that was the reason I chose Louisville. And, uh, you know, there were some other schools interested. I got, I didn't get offered a scholarship until after the football season, my senior year, and we won the state title. So this was, you know, early December, I'm sitting around without a scholarship offer. Um, you know, some, some schools were talking to me. Um, and then Louisville's football coaches came up to one of my basketball games in Northern Kentucky. We were playing down there and they offered me a scholarship after the game. I took a visit there a few days later and, and committed. I wanted to commit on the spot. My dad said, Hey, we got to at least go check it out and do a little bit of research. I'm like, what's, what's the decision? I got one scholarship offer. You know, we can't afford to pay for college just outright me go walk on somewhere you know this is an easy decision but man it was uh it, it worked out tremendously you know I, I, t- I tell kids nowadays you know you need to find a school that you can play at early which i did luckily because i didn't have other choices we ran a pro style offense which was perfect for offensive linemen and developing for the nfl which we did which if another school you know if baylor at the time was running basketball on grass and offered me a scholarship. I would have been there. And then, you know, it's pretty tough to develop as an offensive lineman there. Sure. You know, it's pretty cool. I mean, of course you'd go on and we'll talk about this in a few to become a first round draft pick, but it just shows, you know, people out there listening, high school kids out there listening that not every player who's in the NFL was this high school blue chip prospect, you know, a five-star recruit getting 20, 30 offers or more to schools. You know what I mean? It kind of goes, a bunch of different ways that you can get there. And obviously in your case, you know, Louisville was the one, that one D one school that offered you. It's pretty interesting that it works out that way for you. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I talk to a lot of kids, whether they're at Louisville's football practice or kids from a high school or wherever they may be that are looking to go play college ball. And they want to know what it takes to get to the NFL. And I tell them, you know, when you look around an NFL locker room, it doesn't look like Ohio state, Michigan, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Texas, USC. You know, there's guys that played D2 ball, 1AA ball, all schools across the country. So if you're going to go to Ohio State and get buried on the depth chart and start for one year, it's going to be tough to get noticed for the NFL. Now, they'll do their homework, and if you're good enough, you'll get there. But for me, going to Louisville, not that I had other choices, but I started as a freshman. So I was able to be a freshman All-American, and it kind of propels your career uh, in a way where, you know, there's really good players sitting as a backup at Alabama that you probably never heard about. And, and yeah, if they're, if they're supposed to make it to the NFL, they still will. They might just not get drafted as early because they don't have as much film to study. Sure. Now, you redshirted your first year at Louisville. And like you said, you went on to start the next four years. How do you look back on your time and your career at Louisville? I know you're proud of your school. And, you know, you've talked about it and tweeted on it several times. Looking back, are you like, this was definitely the right decision, and I'm really happy that I went to Louisville? Yeah, man. I, I'm just blessed that my one scholarship was down here. We make a home here. That's where I'm doing this podcast out of today is our home in Louisville. So we love it here. Uh, I met my wife here. I always joke that I gave them two free years. I could have probably jumped to the NFL after my retro sophomore year. So I, I played two free seasons at Louisville, <laughs> but it's all good. I got buddies and memories uh, from college that I wouldn't trade for the world. 
and um, and and I'm still a big supporter of the university. Um, based upon the timing of when the Bills play, I, I would really only make it back for college basketball games. I end up becoming fairly good friends with Rick Pitino and following the basketball team around a little bit and having a lot of fun with that as well. So it's been um, nothing but um, a great. I call it a decision, but you know the way it all kind of worked out for me. Now we'll talk specifically about the Buffalo Bills drafting you in a second, but before that, what was the draft process like for you from the time you finished your college career until the draft? Like, did you get a pretty good sense early on that you were going to be a high draft pick, or did you kind of rise up draft boards, you know, during the process between being a senior and the draft? Yeah, so I'll kind of backtrack a little bit. So after my redshirt sophomore year, I put in my early evaluation form, and they gave me back a third-round grade, I believe. And so I was thinking at the time, you know, I had one scholarship offer. I'm thinking, man, I should maybe just jump. I'm going to go to the combine, and I can probably up my stock a little bit just because I've always been good at the events, I'll call them events, the workout that you do at the combine. So I assumed I might be able to climb up the draft boards that way, but I thought, man, if I stay, I can be potentially a first-rounder. So after my junior year, I get another third-round grade, kind of go back and forth on whether I want to stay or whether I want to go, and then ultimately stay for my senior year. And when the season ended, we we weren't going to a bowl game. I went immediately out to California to start training in early December. Um, and I talked to my agent. He said, you know, I'm hearing from some people fourth round but but you got to be higher than that. I said I better be higher than that. You know, just <laughs> you know, as a confident player, you know that's what I'm thinking. So I got out there and started working my tail off. I went down in the Senior Bowl and I played some center there. And then actually at the very last minute, right before we're actually going to play the game, they say, "Hey, we're going to start you at guard in the game." And I'm assuming that was teams saying, "Hey, we want to see Eric at guard," uh, and our coaches, the Jaguar staff, listening. So I had never played guard really in my life. So I go and play some guard in this game, and I was going against B.J. Raji, who was given the North squad in practice a bunch of fits. Well, you know, I'm buddies with B.J. Raji. I've been training for the combine with him, and not that he was taking it easy on me, but I don't think he was up for the game maybe as much as I was. Right. And, you know, I, I ended up putting up some pretty good film, and when, when we got out of that game, um, I went to a bar with my agent, and my family was down there, my wife and her family my girlfriend at the time, but it ended up being my wife and her family was down there. We're all at a bar and my, and I, you know, I was not that I was a huge partier through college, but you know, I lived the college experience, but I said, you know, through this draft process, I'm going to shut it down, no beers, anything. And afterwards they're like, you need to drink a beer tonight because we think you put yourself in the first round. I'm like, what? <laughs> you guys were just telling me fourth round three weeks ago. So, uh, that kind of propelled things. I built some momentum through the senior bowl had a good combine, a good workout uh, down there in Indy. And then I had uh, visits with five teams. I met with the Bills at the combine, but I didn't have a team visit with them, and they didn't send any coaches to Louisville either. So I went to five teams. There was probably another three or four that came to Louisville to work me out. I think a lot of people wanted to put me through some guard drills and see if I could play guard. Um, and then the Bills ended up taking me, which was kind of a surprise. Now, I had Don Beebe on the show recently. And he told me that he was convinced before the draft that he was going to end up going to the New York Jets. Before the draft, were there one or two teams that you sat back and you said, you know what, I could see this team taking me. I got this gut feeling or more than a gut. You know, you were told that maybe this team might be interested in taking you. Is there one or two teams like that besides maybe the Bills that you thought you may end up going to? 
Yeah, I, I assumed I was going to the Steelers. Um, they had told my agent, or my agent knew somebody with the organization that said they're really interested in me at 32. I don't know how this stuff leaks or how it all works, but all of a sudden, all the mock drafts going on NFL Network and ESPN, all of the experts start saying me 32 to the Steelers that year. So when draft day is going on, I'm just kind of waiting around for 32 to hit. You know, I'm hanging out. We had food at the house and had some family. One of my buddies was over. Um, my wife was there. So we're all hanging out. And um, I just assume I'm going 32. My phone rings four picks earlier, and it's uh, it's Buffalo calling, which which caught me off guard. And uh, But I was super pumped, A, to move up four spots from what I was going to be. I was super pumped for the opportunity to come play in Buffalo, uh, kind of jumping ahead. I didn't know they were drafting me as a guard, but it's all good. It worked out great. I was going to ask you, when you first got drafted by Buffalo, what were your initial thoughts? You just said that, you know, you're a little bit surprised. You didn't know if you were going to play center or guard. And I mean, how quickly did you realize at the time that this was a team you were going to that was, I don't know what, seven or eight years deep into what would obviously would become a much longer playoff drought? Did that matter to you at all? Just what were your thoughts right then and there when the Bills called? No, I mean, you're so excited to be in the NFL. You're not doing the math on how many years they've been in the playoff drought and all that. Right. You know, the memory I had of them from the previous season was the hot start they had with Trent Edwards. Um, that 4-0. And then he got hurt. And it, yeah, so they start 4-0. Trent gets hurt. And the season kind of dwindles from there. But they had Marshawn Lynch. Uh, I don't know if T.O. was on the roster at the time, but... You know, all of my thoughts on Buffalo were, "Hey, this is a this is a franchise on the rise. I'm ready to roll." We looked it up online, and I thought Buffalo was going to be so far from Cincinnati and Louisville, and really, it's it's pretty much in the top northeast corner of Ohio. Yeah. And the and the culture reminds me of Ohio, Pennsylvania. It's blue collar. It's not kind of in your face in New York City. It's laid back, and it suited me perfectly. And um, so I was I was extremely excited when I got up there and how everything was turning out. Now, younger fans, you know, or people who haven't been a Bills fan for very long might not have known this until listening to this podcast. But like I said, you originally were drafted by Buffalo not to be a center. You know, the team had Jeff Gardner there at the time, Jeff Hand Gardner, I'm sorry. And you were originally a right guard with fellow rookie Andy Levitre on the left side. Were you all right with playing guard coming out of college or were you pretty hell-bent on going back to play center at some point? So... I, I wanted to play center, but I, you know, I'll do whatever's best for the team. And I, I hope I prove that throughout my career, but, um, you know, I got excited to play guard and, and I, I understand guards make more money. Um, it's a little tougher of a job, but you know, I was ready to do it and I was all fired up and, um, was having a pretty good rookie year before I broke my leg at guard. Um, so yeah, I, I was, I was all for the switch to guard, um, and, and trying to get our best five linemen on the field. Now, you mentioned that you broke your leg against Jacksonville. I think it was the 10th game of your rookie year. Pretty bad injury, too. How bad was it, and how much did it scare you that you might have said to yourself, hey, man, this this could be the end already before it even really gets started. I mean, we see, unfortunately, these types of things happening in the NFL a lot with injuries. Were you nervous right away as a rookie with that type of injury that, how am I going to get back? Am I going to get back to being as good as I was before? Yeah, I was nervous, honestly. You know, I left the game in Jacksonville. I come, I came off the field in the cart and went right into an ambulance because they were worried about um, the artery in my leg because my leg was in half. 
and, yeah. and kind of cockeyed. So they were worried about that main artery going down. So they rushed me right to the hospital. I'm in an ambulance. I've never been in an ambulance in my life. Go right into surgery and kind of a funny story now looking back. Um, so I, I wake up in the middle of the night and I have no idea where I am post op post surgery. It's pitch black in this hospital room, but I, in my mind, I'm just like kind of coming back to, I'm all drugged up and I am sweating terribly. And I, and I can sweat in 70 degree air, you know, an air conditioned room at 70 degrees. <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm just dying under these blankets. I'm kicking these blankets off. I'm like, where the heck am I? I'm like, I can't really move my legs. So I just started yelling, help, help. And, uh, so someone flicks the light on and, you know, you could talk to former teammates of mine. I'm, I'm fairly demanding, especially when I'm mad. I said, I don't know what that thermostat's on, but it needs to come down. <laughs> After I flick the blankets off me, I'm wearing my same compression shorts still from the game. I'm like, this is disgusting. You got to cut this off of me. And like, I think they understood what they were in for. I spent four days down in the hospital and they were incredible down in Jacksonville. I got really lucky that they had an awesome trauma surgeon there who I've, I've still exchanged texts with every now and then. Uh, just got lucky that they had a great trauma surgeon down there. But, you know, for four days, I don't think I was their easiest patient. And the bye week was the week before. I ended up closing on a house in Louisville that Friday before the game. So I'm sitting there with a new house that I just closed on. I don't know if I'm going to be able to play football again. No idea how I'm going to try and get furniture into this new house eventually and all that. So I had a, a lot going on at that time. Uh, and then, like you said, you know, you're sitting there with a broken leg. And when you, when, when I was told, Hey, you're going to play football again, you know, guys come back from this all the time. Then it, it becomes, well, am I going to be the same player? And, you know, three weeks after that injury, I got on the scale and not many people know this story, but I get on the scale three weeks after surgery. And prior to the game, the Thursday prior to the game, we weighed in at our mandatory weigh-in and I was 315. The next time I got on the scale, I was 278. Oh, wow. Three weeks later. So I'm like, uh oh, I, I got a long way to go. So trying to put on weight while also trying to rehab a broken leg. And uh, I didn't get all the way back to 315 for the next year, but I did start the season opener the following year. Yeah, fortunately, you were able to return that second season. You played most of that season at guard again. And then in year three, hand gardeners out and you were moved to center. And I think Craig Urbic comes in and, and he starts playing right guard. You had a good year early on, you know, then bad luck strikes again. A second time, you know, you end up injured on in IR after, I think it was after the ninth game, your third year. What happened there on that injury? Yeah, my, my first four years, I got hurt between weeks nine, 10, 11, somewhere yeah. in that region, yep. all four years. So my second year, I'm, I'm out with a high ankle sprain and Jeff Hangardner gets hurt in Minnesota. So they said, hey, Eric, if you can come back this next week, we'll let you come back and play center. And they knew I wanted to play center at that point. So I said, all right, sounds good. I'll be back. And they're like, well, is your ankle good? I said, no, no, I'll be fine. And they had a, a Taya Rubin playing nose and he's a good defensive tackle, but they had him playing a two gap, three, four nose. And that, that's not what he was in his strong suit. So I knew I'd be all right. Or I was hoping I would be. And I ended up playing in a pretty good game. And, um, the rest of my career, I played center. Uh, but yeah, then the next year we go down to Dallas, kind of right in that sweet spot for me on, on weeks of the season, we go down there and I'm chasing an interception and DeMarcus Ware just barely clips me from behind, not hard enough to warrant a penalty. And if he would have just decleated me, the worst that would happen is maybe a separated shoulder when I hit the ground or something, but he just barely nicks me 
my foot plants and I tweak my knee and tear my lateral meniscus and ACL, which, um, ultimately took longer to feel better from than even the broken leg did. Wow. Now you were healthy for the next four years and you strung together some great play and you were rewarded with a, a pro bowl nod in 2015. More importantly, by that time, you would also become, you know, one of the team's most unquestioned leaders and a big time fan favorite. What did it mean to you to be a leader on this team? And as your relationship with the fans grew, how frustrating was it for your leaders like yourself and for like Kyle Williams to not be able to deliver a playoff team to fans that I'm sure, you know, as good as anyone, you know, we're starving and crave for a playoff football team. Yeah. So to answer your first question, you know, being a leader of the team, um, being voted a captain by your teammates is, is quite, I mean, it's an unbelievable honor. You know, there's only 32 NFL teams and to be a captain of one of those teams. I was a captain officially three years. Um, Rex is two years in the middle. I should have been a captain those years, which would have been five and would give me the big gold patch, which would have been cool. But, uh, you know, it's all good. But it, it meant a lot to be a leader. And, and honestly, that's one of the things I miss now that I'm out of football is mentoring young guys is leading a team in, you know, I say into battle, but I don't want to compare it to anything that the military goes through on a significant standpoint. But, you know, to lead your team on Sundays, it's just, it's fun. Um, I developed a relationship with the coaches in the front office where we could all speak like men and they would confide in me for big decisions and whatnot. And um, I just loved my role within the team and the organization and, and something I, I honestly truly miss uh, now that I'm out. And then, yeah, it kind of happened early in my career where um, I had made a few quotes that the fans loved. I remember Aaron um, Maven. One of my, yeah, I, I made some comments towards Aaron Maven and I said, you know, football is awesome because you can do stuff violent on a football field that you can't do out in the streets and, you know, not get in trouble for it. And I, you know, so some of those things kind of built up, but, you know, I think ultimately fans could relate to me. I didn't try to give them the media cliches. I tried to give them some real stuff, uh, treat them with respect. I think people fed off of that. Um, I always try to be cordial if I met people in public and, and Buffalo is a small town. You blow off one or two people, word's going to get around that. Eric Wood, the jerk. So, I, I mean, not that, not that the fans' opinion of me would rule my life, but I, I always wanted to keep a strong hold on, hey, I'm, I'm a man of the people in Buffalo. I love it here. I want to spend my career here. And, and I truly meant it, but I wanted it to come across that way, too, and I feel like it did. And, um, you know, even through this time of injury uh, and being away from the team, I still get tons of positive feedback on Twitter, and I was up for Jim's golf tournament. And seeing people around town, um, I'm excited to go back for some games this year and just knowing uh, the reception I'll get and, and being able to interact and maybe hit a tailgate or two with some with some unsuspecting fans. I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I'm looking forward to it. Well, it's definitely, you know, traits of yours that really endeared yourself to fans. Of the teams that you played on that didn't make the playoffs, I'm sure they were all disappointing to some extent. Was there any... Uh one specific season that may have been most frustrating to you when it comes to the team, because, you know, maybe you felt this was the year and this was the team that was going to break this playoff drought and go on to do big things. You know, when we had Kyle Orton at quarterback and we had Jim Schwartz and Doug Marone, um, I should have said in the other order, Doug Marone coaching and that Jim Schwartz was our defensive coordinator that year. When, after we beat green Bay, I thought, okay, now we got to win at Oakland. Who's, two and 12 at the time. And then we're going to play against new England, but they'll likely be resting starters. So 
Um, even though it's a game there, which is a tough spot to win, we can go win that game. I thought we were going to go to the playoffs that year. I did. And when we lost at Oakland, that hurt. That flight home was terrible. Just knowing the opportunity we blew and how much, how long I'd been in Buffalo, how much it mean to the fans. But you know what? All of those setbacks, the injuries, the, the times we just barely missed the playoffs, the meaningless week, 15, 16, 17 games we played, all just made the playoff berth this year even sweeter. Was that one of your favorite days of your NFL career, New Year's Eve, when you beat Miami, and then, of course, Cincinnati in the last minute comes back and beats Baltimore? I have to imagine, at least in terms of your playing career, that had to be one of the finest days of your career. Absolutely. You know, when you're married with two kids, you can't say it's the greatest day of your life. Um, but it might've been the most fun, you know, celebrating the locker room like that. And then that flight home and then the reception we got at the airport and the freezing cold weather from all those fans. And then we went out that night and, uh, went down to Chippewa street. We had, we had, um, arranged kind of a team private party deal downtown where it was either going to be a big time celebration or it'll be a new year's Eve. We're going home. It stinks, but there's nothing we can do about it now party. Luckily, it turned into an awesome celebration and just a ton of fun, but a special group of guys to do it with, too. You know, it makes it when it, when you have a team that was assembled like we had last year. About a month after making the playoffs and ending the drought, shockwaves were sent throughout the organization, unfortunately, obviously. And, you know, and for fans, too, when news leaked out and soon after you announced that because of your injuries, you would no longer be cleared to play professional football, you know, essentially forcing you into retirement. Were you surprised at your diagnosis when you received it, or was it something that based on how you were feeling that you were sort of expecting, or did you feel completely blindsided? No, I was honestly completely blindsided. I ended the season as the only player on the team to play 100% of the snaps, Yep. and I'm thinking, hey, you know, it stinks the season's over, but, you know, I'm an alternate for the Pro Bowl. Hopefully that works out. I made it through a season completely healthy, nothing on the horizon. You know, next year I'm going to take another step towards trying to be the best center in the NFL, the best leader, teammate, whatever I can be for this organization. So that's where I'm at. You know, the, the season ends the day after the game. I'm doing my exit meetings. I'm taking notes from uh, Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott. Tell me exactly where you want me to improve in these areas because I want to take every aspect of my game, my leadership to the next level. So, in no way, shape, or form am I sitting there thinking, hey, my career might be over. You know, all I'm thinking is time to take another step. Let's, let's, get, let's move on. Let's, time, let's take another step. Um, so I get my exit physical. And they said, hey, you had a bunch of stingers throughout the year. We, need, we should get an MRI. I'm like, well, I got to drive back to Louisville right now where my wife is due any minute with our son. I need to go home. I'll get an MRI after he's born. And they're like, just get one on your way out of town. It'll be way easier if you just get it done here. Um, and then I, I finally agreed to it. So I get an MRI in Buffalo, come home. The next day they said, hey, um, they have some special MRI machine in Louisville. Go get another MRI down there. You know, we'll be able to get some better images. I'm like, well, this is obviously bad news, right? And they're like, not necessarily. Let's just let's let it all check out first. I'm like, please tell me I don't need surgery you know, surely I don't need neck surgery, right? And they're like, well, let's just wait and see. So then I'm kind of worried about it. I go get the MRI the following day on the 11th. I'm waiting. I'm in the delivery room waiting for my wife to go into labor. And I get a call from Dr. Cappuccino in Buffalo, basically informing me that my career is over. 
Um, there's a disc sitting kind of almost into my spinal cord at C2, C3, which is all the way at the top where any kind of contact on that spinal cord up there can cause paraplegia and loss of respiratory function. And, you know, you can seek other opinions, which I told him I was going to, but he had already sought a lot of other opinions as well and that I'll never pass a physical again. So I'm thinking, what, how do we go from grab an MRI on the way out of town, I'm sure everything's fine, to your career is done. And then within an hour, my son is born. So very crazy time, very emotional time for me and my wife. And, you know, in the weeks, to, and I guess within the days to follow, we, we sought other opinions and we sent the MRI all around the country. You know, we're, we're bringing our newborn son home. We're not really telling anybody because I don't want people freaking out. And I hate getting a bunch of attention for something. You know, I would hate to tell everyone, Hey, my career might be over and then nothing be wrong and, and everything right. be fine. So, so ultimately, you know, we, we get all this feedback and, you know, my career is over. And then it gets to the point where we've had nine doctors say, Hey, there's no possibility for a return to play. Well, let's keep, what are we going to do? Keep fishing till we find one that says you can. And now you have nine doctors saying, Garrett, you have a significant shot of being a paraplegic if you keep playing. And then I find one guy that said, yeah, with surgery, maybe you could come back. Like that doesn't, you know, I would have been a nervous wreck and we never found one, you know, for the record, we never found a doctor that did say that. But ultimately when, when it came time to make a decision, I'm like, yeah, I guess, I guess we'll throw in the towel. I won't be able to play for the bills. I know that because, you know, this doctor is not going to clear me even with surgery and, you know, all the other team doctors that he spoke to. So crazy time. And then I'm going to announce the, um, the injury in Buffalo that following Monday, somehow it gets leaked on Friday, which was, which just created a lot of turmoil because I was going to tell a lot of people that Sunday, like, Hey, tomorrow I'm going to make this announcement just a heads up. So you're not blindsided, but I didn't want to, like I said, a lot of attention on the front end. I just kind of wanted to make the announcement and then go from there. Well, then that weekend just became a complete mess of people reaching out. And, and I appreciated all of the thoughts and prayers and messages and, and everything else that came with it. It just wasn't supposed to go down that way. And it kind of caught me off guard. Um, and then obviously based upon language in my contract, I couldn't say a whole lot in that press conference, right. which we should have just abandoned when it, when it got leaked anyways. But there was kids that I had worked with through my foundation that had already taken off school and former teammates were flying in town. I'm like, man, we can't cancel it, but we definitely should have. Yeah, I agree. That that kind of, you know, took fans back. They were wondering what was going on with that. How has the adjustment been for you? Obviously it's not something that's easy and it's probably never going to be easy, but is it getting, are you getting a little more, uh, making peace with it a little more each day with what happened? I'm sure the competitive juices start to get flowing for you right now. You know, as the season gets older, how's the adjustment been for you? At least say over maybe the last month or two. Well, I'll backtrack first and say at first we had so much going on at the end of the season. You know, we just made the playoffs. I have my son born. Your body feels terrible after the season anyways, even if you don't have big injuries. So when the news happened, yeah, I was devastated, but, you know, I'm thinking, okay, what's next? Hey, I believe in God's plan for me. He's going to have something lined up for me. I'm going to do big things out of football now. I guess let's run with it. Well, in in that kind of, I don't want to call it a high, but that kind of momentum shifted a little bit, you know, through the spring when I see the team working out and I'm not up there. 
and then they report to camp and I'm getting text messages from guys, Hey, we miss you. You know, it's not the same without you. And then, you know, they're back in Buffalo, you know, for a preseason game or that scrimmage. And then they go to the big tree afterwards and they're FaceTiming me. And I'm like, I love it. And I appreciate, but they just kept, that definitely made me kind of rehash a lot of memories and whatnot. So, um, you know, it's, it's going to be an ongoing process. I'm definitely going to miss it. You know, I wasn't ready to retire and I, and I get it. No one, not many people get to call their own shots when they retire. I just thought maybe selfishly I would, especially after I signed that contract extension before the, the season last year, it was another front loaded deal where they wouldn't be trying to cut me in the next year or two. So I knew I was going to be on the team this year. I mean, financially it would not have made sense for them to cut me. So in my mind, I'm definitely playing through year 10 with the Bills. So, it, you know, mentally, I wasn't prepared for it. You know, I, I did have an identity outside of football, which I think helps with my transition a little bit. Big time. But there's still no way of getting past, you know, the love you have for the game if you truly love playing football. In regards to the media, what do you consider your relationship like with the media, especially when you are an active player? Like, what was your relationship with the Buffalo media to you? You know, to me, I, I gave them a hard time at at times, I remember uh, at one point, Tim Graham, who I have a ton amount of respect for, I think he's incredible. At one time, he he wrote something about me being on a murderous rage at practice, saying I was tra- I told someone I was going to kill him, which I took I took offense to at the time. Like, dude, you cannot. What we say on a football field is not what we truly mean, you know. But uh, I always try to treat them all with respect. You know, they they treated me incredible. The coverage they gave of my foundation and stuff I was doing off the field. And, and I thought they'd do a good job. You know, Buffalo is not an easy market. And, you know, I would give Jerry Sullivan stuff about being so negative, but shoot his time in Buffalo. We didn't give him a whole lot of positive to write about the last 16, 17 years. Right. So yeah. who's to blame them, you know, but I, I always try to treat all those guys with respect, understanding that they have a job to do weekly. Um, sometimes I would have fun with them, especially if I knew that they were like, trying to get me to fill a quote for their story. I might try and like shift off a little bit just to kind of be playful with them. But I, I feel like I have a great relationship with them. I still communicate with a lot of those guys and, and hope to catch up when I'm back in Buffalo, maybe go grab a beer with some of those guys and maybe have some like actual candid conversations where I'm not like worried about, well, if, you know, coach hears about this, or I shared this about this defensive lineman on the other team. Well, hopefully that doesn't make bulletin board material. I, I would like to kind of further our relationship as it goes, but I always knew throughout my career that I potentially wanted to get into the media. So I think it paid off for me because as soon as my career ended, I had a lot of people reach out. Hey, if there's anything I can do, if you ever want to get into this field, please reach out. And that's what I've kind of started to do over the last few months. I was just, that was going to be my next question. You know, during your career, I've heard you on WGR several times. And obviously on this podcast and other podcasts, I've heard you on as well. I was going to ask you that you're, you know, you're a well-spoken guy and you got a lot of insight to offer. Do you think that doing something with the media for sure, that's going to be maybe the next phase of Eric Wood's life when it comes to at least, you know, with football stuff? Yeah, you know, as I look at it, I think that's going to be the easiest way for me to stay around the game but still be the husband and dad I want to be. You know, no offense to any coaches or front office guys. And and who knows, I might find myself in those shoes if, if this doesn't kind of get my get my juices flowing enough in this in this media field. But, you know, I don't think 
as many hours as I would have to spend at the stadium, at the facility. I could, I could be the husband and dad I want to be right now down the road. Who knows? But I feel like the media world, whether it's calling games or some radio stuff or, or whatever it may be, would kind of fit my lifestyle more right now. So in the past few weeks, I've visited NFL Network, um, Sirius XM, ESPN, and had an audition with Fox. And so hopefully through this fall, there's some stuff and maybe you'll see me around or hear me on some different deals where, you know, I'm not going to have a full-time gig for this fall, but I'm going to hopefully get some reps. And in 2019, maybe you'll see me either calling a game or have my own show on a station or something. Well, I'm sure that's going to work out for you. In fact, I'd be willing to bet on it. Let me ask you this though. You played for so long with the bills. You're going to shift to media potentially. Are you going to drop that hammer if the bills are playing like shit? Are you going to be, is Eric Wood going to drop the hammer on him on the air? I could. And, and you know what? Um, you know, that's one of the questions I've been asked throughout being interviewed um, by these networks and whatnot, or, Hey, are you comfortable talking about players in a negative light? A lot of former players aren't real comfortable with that. And, you know, you know, I'm of the opinion, you know, you make it to the NFL, you're not a terrible player. I'm not going to, sit there and dog a guy. Will I dog a guy's effort on TV? Yeah, I would say, hey, man, this this guy's not going very hard, and that guy broke through the hole right there. Or, man, this guy's got to use better technique. And, you know, I would honestly love to take apart Kyle Williams on a play and say this is terrible technique. I'm, I'm kidding. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think I could be critical when I needed to be. You know, when I interviewed down at ESPN, they were talking about a potential role at ACC Network next year, and they said, hey, could you give an unbiased opinion on the University of Louisville if you were calling a game? I'm like, yes, this is my job. If this became my job, that's completely different than me sitting in the athletic director's suite for a football game and they're asking me about different guys on the team. If I'm calling the game, I'm calling the game and I don't have a dog in the fight. And and I know it would always come up if I was ever calling a Bills game, hey, you're a homer, it happens to Romo and all the other guys. But um, I I think I could separate it and, and just kind of consider a business what are your thoughts and we'll turn let's talk about the current bills for a few minutes here what are your thoughts based on what you've seen with your own eyes and what you've heard about josh allen how do you feel him potentially suddenly be the starter for the bills in week one as a rookie when it was widely perceived even by probably his biggest advocates coming out of college that this kid was going to be a bit of a project now he might be starting week one at baltimore you know if he earns it he earns it and at this point he looks good and, and I'm not going to lie, you know, some of the footwork stuff I've seen, and I know people, you know, that's kind of a hot topic with Josh Allen right now. His footwork's improved, and that's why he's doing so much better. But, you know, some of the things I've seen with his pocket presence, the way he's able to move, and then he's got that cannon, if he can keep his eyes down the field like he has been and make some of those throws, I think I think that's beneficial to the Bills. Now, with any rookie, you know, especially a rookie quarterback, you know, these these preseason games aren't specifically game plan for him. He's going to see looks as a rookie quarterback that defensive coordinators are going to throw at him just because these defensive coordinators don't want this rookie coming in and tearing them up. I know uh, talking to Rex, you know, when, when he would always go against rookie quarterbacks, he would always want to just give them something different and not let them trust their eyes early. Hey, when they have this look, it's going to be his own defense. Oh, man, that's man. Now I can't trust my eyes for a quarter, you know, because – you know, I don't have the experience to understand all that. So I think, I think if he earns the job, he earns it and you roll with him. And, and, and I saw a quote yesterday from Bill Walsh, you deal with a rookie in September, you deal with some of those lumps so you can 
or in September so you can win games in December. And I think ultimately that's what we want to do is win games in December, make the playoffs, make a run. And, and I think he has the biggest upside of the bunch. Now, early in the season, Peterman or McCarron may give you a better shot of winning a few ball games early. I don't know that for a fact. I wish I was there day to day and could give you a better analysis from practice. I'm going off of highlights from Twitter, uh, preseason game uh, from NFL Game Pass, kind of breaking down the games afterwards. This is my, you know, outsider's opinion. I wish I had an insider's opinion, but this is that's my outsider's opinion. Well, here's something that you would know for sure. How unfair was it in your eyes that Nate Peterman got such a bad rap because of one game last year as a rookie in his first start on the road in a tough situation? I mean, listen, he was bad that day, but I'm sure, and you'll be the first to say this, no one on that offense did him any favors that game. Yeah, I'm a Nate Peterman fan, and I have been. I've been a fan of his almost since he walked in the door. He's got, uh, he carries himself well. He's a leader. He's consistent day to day. He brings it every day. He's got a lot of the intangibles you want from a quarterback. And then he also looks the part. He's, he's tall enough. He's got a big enough arm. He doesn't have a, he doesn't have Allen's arm, but and there's a lot of quarterbacks in the league that don't have Allen's arm. So, uh, that's not a deciding factor. Going back to your point on the San Diego game, you know, Kelvin Benjamin gets hurt early. We were going to throw the ball to KB a whole lot. You know, he's so big. He's so physical. We were going to wear him out. Well, he gets hurt early in the game. The first pick that Nate throws, I believe he was three for three already in the game. He throws a pick six on a ball that tips off the fullback's hand. Yep. I mean, and, and I pushed that dude out of bounds, so it shouldn't have been a pick six regardless. <laughs> um, he throws a pick six there. His next interception, well, I guess then he throws a pick, and then his following interception, there was a miscommunication with the snap count that I'll take the blame for. I snap it early. Our tackle doesn't move and he gets smoked, and the ball pops up, and that's two picks, two out of three picks early. You have a veteran fullback, and Pat DeMarco, who's excellent, accidentally tips the ball up. They get a pick six, and then you got your veteran center who snaps the ball early. Guy smokes the tackle, and the ball pops up in the air off your hand. I mean, that's really tough for a rookie to deal with in a road game against a, a good San Diego team. I mean, San Diego's got a lot of talent, especially on the edge. Um edge but meaning both corners and both edge rushers mm-hmm. where it's not a super easy game for a quarterback so that was a tough situation i love the way he handled it afterwards i talked to him a bunch after the game and the next morning i love the way he handled it and i love the way he's competed in training camp to set himself up to possibly be a starter the next year after everyone in the nfl hammered him for a couple weeks after that game and he just kind of became a punchline People talk about the quarterbacks in Buffalo, and I'll throw the wide receivers in there mainly because those are the two units that, you know, uh, fans and and critics talk about when they say why this team might not be as good this year as it was last year. But I've made it no secret on this podcast several times that with losses of both you and Richie Incognito to this offensive line, that it kind of, it may be a mess this year. What's your take on the Bills offensive line right now and what the team has tried to do to replace both you and and Richie. You know, I think it's great for the O-line that all those guys were in our room last year. So um, if Groy starts um, and Bodine comes with experience, but I'm assuming at this point, from what I've seen, it appears that Groy would be the starter. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Let's say Groy is the starter. Yeah. Well, he started this week in game three against Cincy on Sunday. They said they announced that. Okay. Good deal. So we got Dion, John Miller, or Dion Vlad, Groy, 
John Miller and Mills all in the room last year. So these guys are all familiar with each other. They, it's a new offense, but they're all familiar with that O-line coach. It's his second year with his techniques. Um, I like that aspect of it. Um, now some guys have moved around. I think Vlad flip-flop. John's back in the lineup. He got Vlad took his spot last year for part of the year. And then Dion came in when Cordy was out last year. So all those guys have experience. I like that. And I think Dayball is a good enough offensive coordinator where he's not going to put them in super tough positions, especially early in the year, just knowing it's a newer group together, let them gel. You know, they'll, they'll run their RPOs, their hard play actions. Uh, they'll run their quick game. And then their run game, what I've seen on film through the preseason, looks pretty awesome. Uh, it's multiple. There's formation sync up with the passes. Um, a lot of stuff I'm excited about. So, and then, you know, last week, the Bills gave up some pressure up front. Well, you know, the stuff with Miles Garrett, we would have chipped him. We would hard count him. We would we would probably cut him a couple times before we ever got to a third and ten and just said, hey, let this guy tee off on Dion." You know what I mean? So assuming he is a premier edge rusher this year and his film looks good through the early part of the year. So that kind of stuff doesn't worry me that much. But you're right. With a new quarterback who might be holding the ball a little bit longer, you know, it, it might take a little while for this unit to gel. I'm, I'm a homer, obviously, with this group. These are my guys. Sure. So you're not going to hear me bash them. But I, of course. I, I do think they could be a good offensive line. One more Bills question, and then we'll wrap this up. Tyrod Taylor, he was embattled by fans. I mean, there was kind of seemed like no in-between. Fans either loved the guy or they hated the guy. But, man, this guy... He, he is the quarterback who led this team to ending a playoff drought. And again, he wasn't perfect by any means, but he was a good quarterback. And I thought the way he handled things last year when he did get benched in that Chargers game, and then he came back and played reasonably well. Though you do think Tyrod deserves a lot of credit for the team ending a playoff drought after 17 years. How much credit does the quarterback deserve in this case? You know, he deserves a lot of credit. Um, he's the quarterback to break it, and there's many that attempted to break it in between playoff appearances, you know, Tyrod's a guy that works so hard and handles himself so well, and he's so about ball that I think Cleveland made a great pickup. Hey, we're going to draft the kid number one overall. Let's have Tyrod in the building and let Baker learn from him. And I I think you're kind of seeing that on Hard Knocks. You have Hugh Jackson saying, hey, Baker, Tyrod works out at five every morning. Are you going to get any of those workouts in? Hey, did you see how late Tyrod stayed last night? Maybe you need to stay that late. And it's cliche to talk about a quarterback and say, oh, he's the first one in the building and last one to leave. Tyrod was truly the first one in the building working out around 5 a.m. every morning, and he would stay and eat dinner with the coaches at night. I mean, I don't think there was anyone that did either of those, much less both of those. So, you know, he he put in the work. He deserves credit for last season. Um, you know, I think, I think the Bills were looking at his upside long-term and thinking, can we win a Super Bowl with this guy? And, and ultimately, they they thought no. So they, they went on and they picked up McCarron. They kept Peterman. And then they drafted their strong-arm, talented rookie, who hopefully will be their guy that takes them to the Super Bowl. So I, I see the perspective from the Bills moving on. Um, but I think Cleveland also made a good choice in bringing Tyrod in. Let's talk chicken wings for a second. You're a chicken wing fan. I love chicken wings. I made no secret about it on Twitter. I was going to literally, I was going to a place every night that I was just back in Buffalo over these last six weeks. I'm at Sunny Reds in Lackawanna, free plug there. And I see your name on the menu. 
What's that all about? Tell me about that. The sauce. So that, yeah. So, so Joe Yergi is one of the guys that owns Sonny Red. He's, he's the guy from Mulberry. He, he partially owns Mulberry cooks down there as well. So when we went to Mulberry one time, he made wings for the O line. And I said, Joe, these might be the best wings I've ever had. So he ends up getting to play Sonny Reds, which is kind of by the stadium, little, little bar, cool mm-hmm. patio out Lackawanna. back. Lackawanna, yep. And he, yep, in Lackawanna, and, and he puts the, the wings on the menu, and they're phenomenal. I don't know where they ended up on your list. Not high enough. Uh, <laughs> I love theirs. I know you were kind of hating on Barbill. You must have got the one bad batch they've ever put out. Because <laughs> those are phenomenal. But, um, you know, those are also two places where I got a mug my own mug in Buffalo or at bar bill. And then obviously I'm buddies with the owner of Sonny red. So like I said, I don't hide my bias at times. I know I've, I'm opinionated, you know, after every home game, you're not going to find me anywhere other than Julio de Paulo's and you can't convince me to go anywhere else. So, um, <laughs> you know, we do me and my wife, we do get kind of stuck in our ways and we hit the same spots over and over, but I don't know why you, you mess up a good thing. Well, dude, with Sonny Reds, it's not that I didn't like the wings. I did like them. Here was the problem. they The cook underperformed when it came to giving me the ample amount of sauce. I ordered the wings and with your sauce. It says, what is, it's like Eric Wood, like literally your name's on the menu. So that's what I get. And I asked for them saucy. I like my wings really saucy. It's not that I didn't like them. It's that they weren't saucy enough. So I couldn't rank. I couldn't put them on my power rankings any higher than I did. And by the way, they weren't that far off the top 10. They were like 11 or 12. They were good. If they had been saucier, I probably would have had them top five, top six for sure. Gotcha. And and you know what? If I would have known you were going, I would have made sure Joe Yergi was there prepping, preparing them. You know, I, I haven't even seen a menu there. When I The two times I've been in have, haven't even been during business hours. And I've said, hey, fire up some wings and pizza. Me and Fitzpatrick went there when we were up for Fred Jackson's roast. They weren't open. It was like a, it was a day that maybe they didn't open until four. So we popped in before that. And I went in another time a little later in the day. And, uh, I just had Joe fire up some pizzas and wings. So I, I haven't even seen a menu. That's funny. Is the Eric Wood sauce, is that like a Buffalo sauce? Maybe like a touch of garlic or something? Yeah, it was good. It just wasn't enough on it for my wings. Maybe some people don't like them as saucy, but I asked for them saucy. They were the sauce was great. How much weight did you gain through seventeen days? Were you just going like low, low I went, carb, I went to seventeen different places over I think like twenty five days, and I'm not lying. I gained about sixteen, seventeen pounds. I was already going wow. the wrong way when I came up to Buffalo. But I just said, you know what, screw it, man. And like you, like you said, with you and your wife, how you like to go to the same couple places. That's how I was my whole life. I spent my whole life in Buffalo and I always went to the same two, three, four places. But since I moved to Florida, when I get back to Buffalo, I just said, you know what? I'm just going to keep going to place after place after place. So yeah, I went to 18 different chicken wing joints this last trip. It was and fun. then there's a place in Amherst, you were saying that was your number one. I got to check that out. It wasn't number one. It was number three, but it was my number one oh, on okay. this trip home. Autobahn North in Amherst. It was, it's a sleeper. Yeah. I, I got, I got to check that out. I saw, I've, I've had a lot of them, you know, I was up there long enough where I had the Gabriel's gate and the not an 11 tavern Very and good. a lot of like the trendy spots. Um, for us, you know, it always kind of came back to like, you know, big tree was right by our house and they're not a 10 on food, 
but on atmosphere for my liking, like nobody in a spot right by the stadium, right by my house, that was like a 10 spot. Bar bill was like a 10 spot because you could also get the awesome beef on wet. Oh, it's amazing. For jalapeno poppers. And then, you know, I'm drinking a beer out of a mug that that's my signature mug. Um, and, and the quote on it is, I'll have another or I'll do one more. <laughs> so when the waitress comes around, she says, you want another beer? I just kind of hold it up, you know. But um, so those were kind of our wing spots. Um, but I'm going to have to try a few of those other spots on your list. Well, we'll get together and talk more about those another time. I do want to end with the mini lightning round. Same thing with every guest. What I'm going to do is ask you a handful of random questions. Not a lot of deep thought required. Just whatever the first answer is you think of, just pop it out. All right, cool. Sounds good. All right. Toughest football player you've ever played against. Gosh, I get asked that a lot, and I know this isn't lightning answer. I'll say, right. um, I'll say Aaron Donald, but I only had to block him like twice, maybe one on one. Favorite teammate? I'll allow for two or three instead of just one, because I'm sure you don't just have one. But name a couple of your favorite teammates through the years. Not in any order, but it's not that hard for me to answer. Kyle, Fitz, Fred. And then recently, I I loved playing with Richie the last few years. A player that you wish you had a chance to play alongside with on the offensive line, but you never got a chance to play with him. Like an offensive lineman that you really admire that you didn't get to play with. Yeah, if you could have stuck me in a guard spot, it would have been between Will Wolford at left tackle and Kent Hall at center. I'm really good buddies with Will Wolford. He's a Louisville guy. And then I unfortunately never got a chance to meet Kent, but if he's best friends with Will Wolford and Jim Kelly, two guys that I love, I'm pretty sure we would have got along great. Who was your funniest teammate? Probably Fitzpatrick. What's your favorite city to visit? Um, Cabo San Lucas. Do you have a favorite sports movie? Um, Without thinking too hard, I'll say Remember the Titans. Okay. If you had never, it's probably hard to even imagine this for you, but if you had never played football in any capacity, say past high school, what do you think that you may have ended up doing with your life when you got older? It's hard to say since when I graduated high school, I was working at a cemetery in Cincinnati, but, um, you know, I'd like to say I'd be a pro golfer, but I don't think that's realistic either. (laughs) Um, maybe doing podcasts like you. (laughs) <laughs> all right second last question here if twitter were to send you a note and say hey eric you're only allowed to follow one person on twitter and one person only who would probably be that one person that you would follow probably pro football talk since that gives me about 95 percent of the news i'm looking for in a day okay last question here three dinner guests from any era dead or alive any era who you got um, any era, so that dates back in history, I'll say Jesus, um, I'll say Rex Ryan, cause he can light up any room <laughs> and I'll say, uh, Kent Hall because we could talk center stuff. And I never got to meet him. That'd have been, uh, awesome. Great answers. All right, everybody, Eric Wood, follow him on Twitter at Ewood 70. Eric, this was fun, man. Big thrill for me. Thanks a lot for coming on and doing the show. I really appreciate your time. No, my pleasure, Patrick. Thanks for having me.
All right, he's back after a couple weeks running with Joe at Buffalo Wins on Twitter. Contrary to published reports, he's not banned from the show despite his horrid chicken wing takes from a few weeks ago. What's up, dude? How you doing? Doing well, man. Uh, thanks for asking, and I stand by those uh, boneless wings are the shit. So, I, You know, I'm not going to get into that with you again. It's so terrible. It's beyond reproach. Not going to get into that. I will tell you one thing, though. You did say something else on Twitter recently that probably isn't going to be too popular with Buffalo people, but I actually agree with you, and it's this. I think that New York pizza is better than Buffalo pizza. New York City pizza, to me, is better than Buffalo pizza. So I actually do agree with you on that topic. It's Yeah, it's not even close. It's all about, look, I, I worked at a pizzeria for nine years in Buffalo, and I understand like the nuances that go into making really good dough. A lot of it has to do with the water. That's why bagels, pizza in New York is the best, because the water here, I don't know what the hell it is, but the water here is a lot better, and it's just one of those things that, that that's a big difference for everything in terms of that. Let's, since you're speaking of New York, this weekend, SummerSlam came to town, came to Brooklyn, your backyard, NXT SummerSlam, you know, the, the whole shebang for WWE, it's that time of year for them. SummerSlam and everything else, like I said, it comes to your yard. You were able actually to go to NXT and you not only went there, but you ended up getting a great seat. I saw a tweet that you put out, a selfie with Ronda Rousey, man. Dude, how did that happen? I'll tell you what, straight up, I was kind of jealous when I saw that shit. How did you end up getting a selfie with Ronda Rousey? Okay, well, here, let me just kind of give you a little backstory on NXT. Like, NXT's been going to, for those who don't know, that has been going to Brooklyn, the TakeOver show, for the last three years. And I've gone to the last two, and I sat, like, in the 100s. And for this one, you know, I was looking for, for friends to come, go with me, but everyone, all my wrestling friends, and there's really, like, three wrestling fans I could talk to and be like, hey, let's go to this show. They were all out of town. So I was like, you know what? If I'm going to go, I, I was debating, like, should I go by myself? Because I'm usually not that guy who goes to, like, the bars by myself or goes to shows by myself. I got to go with someone. This is how I am, you know? I just mm-hmm. can't. I, I just, I'm not, I'm, I'm not really a loner <laughs> when it comes to that sort of stuff. So day of, I'm still progra- procrastinating. Like, should I do it? Should I do it? And then, like, I woke up early that morning and I started, I was watching soccer and I've been trying to get in the Premier League, and I was watching. And part of the reason why I like soccer is I could drink early. So I was like, ah, I mean, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna crack some some beers at like eight in the morning, you know, eight nine in the morning. So like on my third beer, this is around like eleven eleven thirty. I'm like, you know what? F this. I'm doing it. So I went on StubHub, got you know the best seats I could get because I was like, if I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go out in a bang because they may not be coming here next year. So boom, I get the tickets. I get there, and like their second row and i was like oh sweet like their second row right before you like the entrance way like or like right when you're about to you're going down the ramp and it's right before you hit like the you know the outside of the ring basically and then in front of us there's like five empty seats right or in front of me whatever there's like five empty seats and i'm like okay i wonder who's gonna take these because usually you're like okay someone you know is gonna take these and then right when the first match was about to start fucking David Arquette comes and sits in front of me, you know, former WCW champion, former freaking, you know, officer Dewey from scream or whatever. And the dude was like a giant Mark. Like he was like, he was standing up for the whole, like for like the beginning of the first match and people behind me were pissed. I'm like, they're like, sit down like to him. And he was like ignoring us. Like he was like literally the first row. 
and he's standing up against the freaking wall. And I hate that. It's like, sit the fuck down, dude. So finally, he, like, heard us, and he was kind of like, oh, sorry. And then he, like, sat down. And finally, Ronda Rousey comes in with her fucking, her boyfriend. And he's, like, huge. He's a gigantic dude. I think he did MMA, and I think he's in NXT, but he's a huge dude. Yeah. So she sits in front of us, and, you know, we were like, whoa. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, it's Ronda Rousey right in front of me. And, like, she's sitting there. And normally, when they and they they had her there to do that spot later in the show, which we'll probably get into, where they they do a cutaway of her in the crowd and she's cheering on Shayna Baszler. And normally, when they do that sort of stuff, they have like the cameos. Those wrestlers come out for like literally five minutes. Like they're on camera for five minutes and they they clap and then they leave. Yeah, like that's what happens with Kevin Owens, Mark Henry. Like they were in the crowd at NXT. They were there for five minutes and then they were out. Ronda, she was there for the whole time, like from the first match until the end. Like, so she's there. So during what I'm thinking to myself, okay, I, I spent a lot on these freaking tickets, and I'm like, I'm asking for a, for a fucking selfie. I don't give a shit. She could deny me. I don't care. I'm asking. So then, like, during one of the packages, I'm kind of looking at her, and I look at her, I just tap her on the shoulder. I'm like, hey, do you mind doing, you know, taking a selfie? And at this point, she's, she's sitting on her boyfriend's lap. And they were, I'll be out. They were very like public displays of affection. Travis very, Brown, Travis Brown's her husband. Yeah, yeah. So they were very like intimate, and like she's on her her lap. And she's like, yeah, sure, no problem. And then that's what we did. We I just took a selfie, and that was it. But she was super into like every match. Like she was not just there to like, okay, hey, we're gonna be there for whatever until they show her on TV cheering. Like she was into everything. Like cheering all the wrestlers on. Like she was. She was really into it. So, you know, she's definitely a fan. She's really pretty in person. Like, I've never really, like, she's been, like, I, I don't, she's okay looking, like, beforehand. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, she's nice looking. Like, I didn't really give her, like, a second sh- second thought or whatever. But then, like, when you see her in person, it's like, oh, man, she's pretty, she's pretty hot. Like, she's very cute. She has, like, kind of that girl next door when she smiles look. But I was, I was definitely a little smitten by her. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. I'm taking a picture. So <laughs> it was awesome. It was definitely, like, it was worth it, like, for me to just, you know, to get that photo. Well, I think probably my favorite thing about Ronda Rousey in WWE is besides, you know, being really good in the ring, is like you just said, she's a big-time fan. And she talks about it all the time. And you can see how genuine she is when she, when she's talking about wrestling or watching it. She is. She's just like you and me and all the marks out here listening right now. She's legit a wrestling fan. And I love that about her. I did see at least some of SummerSlam. So moving on to that, we finally got what we all expected. We all knew it was coming. Roman Reigns beats Brock to win the universal title. How did you feel about how they went about getting there with the main event at SummerSlam and how that match went, which by the way, a couple of weeks ago, if you remember, I gave you a bold prediction. I was half right. I told you right before that match squared off that that music was hidden and Braun Strowman was coming out. And he did. I mean, he didn't He didn't end up cashing in or anything like that. Roman Reigns does win. But anyway, Braun's involved in that angle now. But as far as the match itself and, and the vibe from it all and how the title changed hands, what did you think? How did you think that went down? Uh, I thought the match was pretty good because it was just a fast-paced match where it was like explosive move after explosive move with like Superman punches, suplex city, all that sort of stuff. I thought they were brilliant. WWE WWE knew like the crowd was going to completely take a dump on Roman Reigns throughout. And they played it perfectly with Strowman coming out. And then the fans being like, Oh, Hey, we're not going to shit on this match 
now because we're we're going to assume at the end Strowman's going to cash in, and this is like the, the this is like the prelude to that more than, more or less, and that's why like they did not shit on that match as badly as they did for WrestleMania, and you know they were ready to do that, and then boom, the music hit, Strowman comes out, he's he's sitting there waiting to cash in, and then Brock kicks the shit out of him and, and throws the the suitcase all the way at the end of the uh, yeah that was pretty cool. Way. That was awesome. Yeah, his his F five on, on, on him on the outside was awesome. I was like, whoa! I mean, I could I could watch Brock kick people's asses forever. And uh, and then when he cashed in, I remember watching it going, or not cashed in when when Roman won. I'm thinking to myself, okay, wait, okay, where where where's Brock? He's gonna get, he's gonna come back, and now it's gonna be even because it's gonna be like, oh, here's Strowman who's hurt as well, and here's here's Roman who just finished the match, and oh no, they just go off the air. And you had to you had to think the fans were like, wait, what the fuck? Like you know, so they they totally pulled the, the swerve on uh, on fans, you know, and whatever. I I, I don't I like Ro- I think Roman Reigns is a good wrestler. Like he's for, especially for someone his size, he's very agile. And uh, but his promos suck, and they should have turned him heel years ago, and they haven't. So you know they don't care. They don't care because they're pump they're printing out money. They got the TV deal. They are rich beyond. They're like the NFL when it comes to, you know, with the NFL. Like the NFL can make money without having you attend a football game based off like revenue of TV deals, sponsorships. That's what WWE is right now. They don't even need like you to tune in. They got all this other money coming through there, and they like Roman because Roman's like a nice looking guy. He can talk well. He's probably good with sponsors. If you're if you're with your wife, and I think this is how they think a lot of times. If you're with your wife who doesn't know anything about wrestling and she's watching and all of a sudden here comes Roman Reigns, she's going to be like, oh, the cute guy. Look at this cute guy. And that's how it is, you know, and that's why he's he's shoved on our throats and that's why they're not going to change him. So on Monday Night Raw, the Shield reunites. They take out Braun Strowman because Braun came out during the match with uh, Roman Reigns and Finn Balor and looked like he, in fact, he was going to cash in. And just as they was going to, the music comes, they come down, they save Roman Reigns. What are your thoughts on that? Because I guess... Here's what I don't understand, okay? So Roman Reigns going, he goes from being the underdog who can't beat Brock Lesnar to winning, and then he's a fighting champion. He's going to put the belt on the line right away. And now, what? what is he? Is he is he a heel now? Or, you know, somebody who needs who needs help to keep his belt from Braun Strowman because otherwise Braun's going to beat him? All this is like in 24 hours. Underdog, fighting champion, heel. You know what I mean? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think they only they did that that whole shield thing because they want they they're the only thing that people have ever cheered Roman Reigns for was when he was with the Shield. That's why they did that. Booking logically, it doesn't make any sense. For one, yeah. Braun comes out to like cash in, and it's like one against three. It's not like Braun like jump like interfered in the early part of the match or anything like that. It's supposed to be like him versus you know Roman one on one, and instead it's all three of them come out. And basically kick his ass. Like that's that's more of a heel move to do a one on to to do a one on three. And I don't even know what they're gonna do. Like, are they gonna have two faces with 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 Roman versus Braun with the Shield? Because uh, you know, there's the, you know, you need to have a bad guy in this. I feel, and I don't think they want to turn Roman or turn Braun bad. We know what they're gonna do with Roman. They love him forever. But yeah, that whole thing. It, it didn't make much sense for the, for them. And even like, you know, even like the whole, like them trying to make Braun out to be kind of like civil, like, oh, I'm going to tell you that when I'm going to cash it in, I'm going to do it at the end of the match. It's like, dude, you're doing it at the end of the match when the other guy is dead. Like, there's not that big of a difference. If what's, what's the difference? Like, boom, the music comes, like, you don't hear, you hear the music at the end of the match instead of it 
being in the beginning. Like there's there's no difference of him surprising you when you come when he comes out and runs on the ring than it is him sitting there because you're going through a match. So that that logic is a little is a little flawed. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the Shield re, the reunion they tried doing that last year. Everyone got freaking hurt, so they couldn't do it anymore. They're bringing it back. I don't know what they're gonna do. Like I think Braun needs to find friends. I mean, I don't know who the hell he's gonna find. Like what? Is he, is he, Friends with Bray Wyatt, who's doing nothing right now. It was you a know? good. It was a good moment, but I don't see how they follow it up. It just logically, with everything that's going on, it doesn't make sense. In fact, maybe if anything, they should have done it the night before at SummerSlam. They, the Shield could have been the one to take out Brock Lesnar. Everyone comes yeah. out strong that way. You know what I mean? He's probably they're probably getting a lot more cheers for that as well. I think that would have been the way they should have done it. I'll tell you what, man, let's talk wrestling another time. I could talk about wrestling all night. We do have to hit on the Buffalo Bills because there's some pretty, for being the preseason at least, some pretty big news going down this week. Josh Allen will get to start Sunday against Cincinnati. The team announced it early in the week as opposed to the day of or right before, like they have the first two weeks. What are your thoughts on Josh Allen getting to start this Sunday? Um, I think I'm, what I'm trying to figure out is if this was a this was always set in motion back in like July that they were going to give one start to each guy, or was this based off? Hey, he's been he's been I don't want to say he's been great or good. Like he's been he's been okay to good in his preseason games. Like you know I, I don't want to like overdo it with like every throw he's made is like oh my god this is amazing. Like he's been he's been fine. I wish I, I wish I he's been intriguing. Go- that's for sure. Yeah, he's always yeah. I mean, he's he's a, he's a rookie. EJ Manuel was intriguing in preseason because it was like, ooh, a new shiny toy, you know that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's 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 going to be interesting to see what happens on Sunday. I'll, I'll say this: if he's if you were to take him and Peterman against each other and they play the exact same way, Josh Allen's winning this job. If you're doing it to where Peterman is better, is good. We'll just say like based off preseason, like Peterman's good. Josh Allen's average. I think Josh Allen's going to win. I think the only way Josh Allen doesn't win this job in their view is if he like barfs on himself on Sunday. You know what I mean? Because they want it. They, they, they want the young guy to win. You know what I mean? They want Josh Allen to win, I would say, you know, because of, uh, you know, what they've invested in him. And it's always that way. Like if the young guy is competent, you're going to go or like I keep saying young guy, they're both young. But if the if Josh Allen is competent, you're going to go with him over you know, over the other quarterbacks, even if the other quarterbacks are slightly better, you know, in terms of where they are in their game. So that's how I feel. But then on the other side of the coin, I keep, I keep going back to like, you know, McDermott liking Peterman and also, you know, easing him more into it. If I were them, I'll just say this. If I were them, I would wait. I would obviously see what happens Sunday. Like he'd have to light it up Sunday. Even if he, he lights it up again, you know, Evergreen, evergreen take, preseason stupid, it's a sham, blah, blah, blah. I would rather just have Peterman start that first month. And, you know, they're playing, they got a rough schedule. I would just say, just ease them in, do the first month with Peterman, and then and then bring Josh Allen in. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's exciting. Like, I, I'll be honest, I, I'm pretty excited. <laughs> this is like the first time I've been excited about a preseason game ever. You know, and I hate preseason, but I'm, I'm excited about Sunday. It's going to be fun to see how he does against against the Bengals' first team in the fake, in the most important fake game of the of the uh, August uh, offseason or August preseason here. Well, I do like the fact that he's starting. For You know, for nothing else, they're giving him a week in the life of being a starter for a full week. They're probably, I'm sure, McDermott did this 
intentionally early in the week so that the kid knew he was starting all week, seeing how he handles himself every day as at practice as the starter for the game, seeing how he might handle himself in the media with his teammates in the locker room, stuff like that. You know, all the all the shit that goes on off the field and leading up to the game. So for that reason alone, I do like him starting. And I, But I'm going to say this, and I know this is not very popular. And again, I'm a pretty big Josh Allen guy. I, I feel like I've been a bigger Josh Allen guy than most since before the draft. If there was ever, ever a time where I didn't want him, it wasn't because I didn't like his ability. It was because of the division that I thought it would cost. And I mean, God, I'm not going to go over that crap again, but I just fi- figured you know, taking him was going to cause a lot of division among fans. And sure enough, it has. But anyway, more fans are starting to rally around him, as they should. But I still agree with my Pat with Pucks partner on Tuesday's tone. At the end of the day, I think Peterman should start week one. And I think he probably will. I just don't, at the end of the day, I don't think Allen is NFL game ready right out the gate. You know what I mean? Despite his progress during the preseason, and he has progressed pretty well, his footwork and stuff like that. But you know what? At the same time, Teams ain't showing him shit in the preseason. They're not showing anything. They're not They're not game planning to stop Josh Allen and throw different things at him. Yeah, he hasn't looked bad this summer. But again, it's going back. It's preseason. It's training camp. It's all bullshit. But I'll just say this. Yes, I agree with you. Like, if you know, with, with having him start, you know, week one for Peterman. I, I think that's where they should go. And sometimes you just have to go with your gut. I go back to my gut of when they drafted him. And all we ever heard, heard from a lot of people was, hey, he's a project. You know what I mean? He comes from a really shitty conference. He comes from a team that, you know, he didn't really put up a lot of great stats. He feels like a project. to me, And I would just rather just kind of ease him in, you know, in regards to that. Now, I, I understand, like, hey, you can only learn baptism by fire, blah, blah, blah. But again, if you're going to do baptism by fire, I would rather have it with a team around him that's really good, offensively speaking. I don't feel that way about the Bills outside of McCoy, maybe a little bit of Kelvin Benjamin. That offensive line, you talked, you tweeted it out the other day. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's a weakness for them right now, in my opinion. Um, and also, you know, their wide receiving depth is not that great either. So I would just ease him in a little bit. Well, I'll tell you what, man. Let me be clear on this too. If Josh Allen plays well Sunday, he's starting week one. It's over. Yeah. If he plays good Sunday for a half, because I'm, I'm assuming he's probably going to play the first half with the starters, at least most of the starters for that first half, he plays well. Shit's over. Competition's over. Josh Allen, for better or worse, will start from week one. I can almost guarantee you, Sean McDermott, it will lock in on that. And I don't even think you're going to have to wait until the, the week before the season. I think that might be a couple days after where he says Josh is our guy. So that for, you know, you don't like preseason, and I understand why a lot of people don't, but it is important to some of these players, and for him, it's an opportunity for him to win a job, period. Now, aside from Allen and Peterman, is there one or two people that you might be more locked into on Sunday than anyone else? Hmm, who do I want to watch? I would I would definitely have to go with, um, I, just, I, I guess, the whole offensive line. I want to see, they got their asses handed to them in Cleveland. and again, Yeah, they did. Preseason, blah, 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 it's fake. But, like, they got their asses handed to them. So I would definitely want, like to see how they do up front. I want to see Coleman. I want to see another – I want to see a wide receiver not named Kelvin Benjamin. I don't think anyone with the first unit has, like, done anything. Has anyone caught a pass? Like, has, like I think Zay Jones caught a pass maybe. But, like, I need I need a second, third, fourth, fifth wide receiver to, like, do something. You know what I mean? Like, it was a Kelvin Benjamin show, you know, in, in week, you know, against the Panthers, like, in that, those first couple of drives. 
So I would definitely like to see like uh, a few wide receivers kind of like separate themselves uh, defensively. Hey, you know, they, they, they were really bad against the run against Cleveland. So they got to fix that up. Their linebackers aren't have, weren't very good. Like Matt Milano did not have a good preseason game against Cleveland. So I'll be keeping an eye on him, I would say. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be, I mean, it's all about Josh Allen to me. Like it's all about the quarterback. It's all I want to see. You know, and everything else, we'll we'll see how that works out, obviously. I'd like to see a little more out of Tremaine Edmonds. You know, I, I'd like to see him do a little more. I see the speed yeah. out there early on, but I haven't seen much. If I didn't know ahead of time he was a high first-round pick, I'd be like, he's just another guy out there. Now, again, to be fair, he's a very young rookie and who's played two preseason goddamn games. So let's just pump our yeah. brakes there. Not blasting a dude. I would just like to see a little bit more out of him to show me, yo, this is the guy that the Bills traded up for in the first round. I haven't seen much of that yet, but again, very early. Like it's you, early, mentioned, yeah. you mentioned the wide receivers too. I'd like, to, I don't necessarily I'm not looking for the production, but I'd like to see who that second, third, fourth receiver is early in that first half more often than not that's playing with Allen because that might set the tone for the regular season. Now we've seen two preseason games. What about this team or maybe a few specific players that you've seen has been, you know, specifically good or bad? that has really stuck out to you, if there is anyone. Someone who's been really good and someone in your mind who maybe you expected more from who hasn't performed so far. I would say for good, it's Nathan Peterman. I think he's I think, I think, think he's been the MVP of those two preseason games, which is just insane for me to say. But, like, he's been really good. I mean, he's completed 85% of his passes. You know, he did well in the first game. He did, and, you know, he was kind of a little bit rough in the in the – at the start, like the first couple of drives against Cleveland, but he finished pretty well. He's been kind of my good, like, Hey, he's been good, like good for him again, preseason bullshit, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, he's been really good in terms of like guys, I think have to improve. Um, I would have to go with, I think, I think it has to go with Matt Milano. I think, I think he needs to get better. You know, he got a lot of love last year on Bill's Twitter and I thought he was okay last year, but I, I feel like sometimes it's like, Oh, Hey, the new guy is in town that no one really expected much from who was drafted like later in, in the, in the draft. And it, it kind of accentuates it. Like it's a good story. And I, you know, I never really was captivated by him last year. Like he made a couple of plays, but you know, he needs to play better. So that's, that, he's kind of been a bit, a bit of a disappointment for me. And again, with the linebackers, but he's someone I think has to play better. I agree about Milano. I mean, it doesn't bode too well for his future with his team. If he can't clearly beat out Ramon Humber to be a starter. On the other end, I really like Marcus Murphy. I said that, and I know everyone's on that train now, but I really, really like this kid a lot. I think he is going to make this team, and I think he might end up mattering on this team. He might not make the team, Mike Love, the defensive end, but I like the way he's played, and I like Rafael Butch's safety. I think the Bills found themselves a really good third safety there. But again, we got two more. Well, you know what? We got one more game. I think your preseason takes are horrible about how much you hate the preseason. I know that you hate training camp in the preseason. You just want it to be week one. It's all because of Josh Allen. That's why I'm watching this game. Okay. If it, if it wasn't for Josh Allen, if we had, if it was Tyrod there, I wouldn't be watching this game. Cause I'd be like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. You know, I, I mean, I'd be like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to go drink and, you know, do other things, watch wrestling or something like that. But, uh, yeah, it's it's gonna be it's a big game for for Sunday in terms of, of Murphy. Uh, you know he's yeah he's been great. I, I I honestly I don't know he seems very small to me. And I always say this when it comes to like those skill guys, 
And there's always, like, that wide receiver, that running back who does really well in the preseason, and then he gets cut. It's always about special teams. Not going to be him. It's not going to be him. It's not going to be him. He's not getting cut. Well, I'm just saying he's pretty small, he dude. Is small. He's like, only five nine. He's like five okay, nine, one ninety five. My point, my point is this: if they 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 paid a lot to Chris Ivory, and Cadet is a guy who could play special teams, like could be a gunner, can can check, you know, go after, you know, when punt coverage comes in, he could get, he could be a guy that does that. I don't know if Murphy could be that guy, and that's what I'm getting at is like guys like him and other and like Brandon like Riley last year. He was like, oh, he's the preseason darling, but you know what? If he doesn't play special teams. And like covers kicks, he's he's you're kind of screwed a little bit. Murphy you know might I mean? be the punt. Want. Murphy That's might be. I, I agree with your sentiment. Murphy might be the punt returner this year, by the way. And I also think yeah. they're going to keep four tailbacks and one fullback. So I think there's room for Murphy four and Cadet on this team. I think Ford will probably end up being Murphy. M- Murphy's emergence probably makes Keith Ford the guy out. Yeah, four. That's right. Four. Jesus, we're gonna have a wishbone. Well, they're only gonna have one running or one fullback. So I guarantee that's how it's going to work out. I would be, as long as he stays healthy, I'll be floored if we're having a discussion in two weeks about Marcus Murphy being cut. Okay. Well, I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. Like, again, for those running backs, it's about, okay. And I'd, I'd have to look at the ivory contract and see how that works. Like if they save money or who knows, but yeah, again, they'll, they'll keep that, that third or fourth running back, Pat has to play special teams. That's how it's always been. Well, I'm telling you, don't be surprised if Marcus Murphy's returning punch this year. That's all I'm saying, dude. All right, listen, man. Before we get out of here, on a serious note, we're kind of bullshitting around here, but on a, on a very serious note, shit's going down again with Richie Incognito. This guy's becoming a danger to society now. You know, listen, I, I want the guy to get well. He clearly needs help. And I get that fans are being loyal to the guy. You know, he played in Buffalo and they're hoping for the best. I'm hoping for the best. I really do. But the path things are going down, you know, the path that he's on right now, the way things are going down, it's going to end up that this guy is going to end up hurting himself or someone else. He's lost it. He's lost it. He needs help and he needs help badly. And I hope he gets it before it's too late. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'll just, I'll say this. Um, I'm not going to get into my opinions about him. Like, prior to his retirement like it was kind of uh, i was never really comfortable with him being on the bills uh, i never could get out get over the jonathan martin stuff it was i thought deplorable what happened down there but i whatever i i like bit my tongue was like okay fine he's here he's a guard and he was fine here you know for the few years he seemed like a, a model citizen you didn't hear too much about him what's going on right now if i'm in the nfl right now and i'm like roger goodell's counsel i am sending like people over to Arizona to get him help. And I'm going to tell you why this is something where if you ever saw the movie concussion and it opened up with like the, the movie kind of opened up with like, there was this old Pittsburgh Steelers guy who like, he's actually was from Buffalo and he was offensive lineman who like he had CTE and he basically lost his mind. Like he was driving down the wrong way of the, the highway. Once his car was on fire, he lost it. That's what Richie incognito is going to be. And it's going to be one of those things where when this, if this happens, like the NFL, they could be held responsible in a way of where people, they'll, you know, Richie's family could like say, Hey, let's look at the brain, see that the guy has like CTE, blah, blah, blah. Like this could get ugly where people are like, well, geez, like maybe he was messed up because of playing football. And that's where if I'm, if I'm the NFL, I'm sending people over there to like stop that from happening. 
because you're right. He is on. He is self-destructing right now. You know, whether it's because he misses the game, whether it's because you know he is he's bipolar. You know, the, the symptoms have always been there. You know, we could go back to like, you know, earlier in his career or whatever the case may be. But if I'm the NFL right now, I'm worried about this because, like I said, if this guy if this guy does something to himself, it's you know it's going to be like, okay, how much did football have to do with this? You know, and that's and that's part of the reason why the NFL is doing this whole thing with making the game safer aside from like health. They're doing it because they don't want to get sued. You know what I mean? And I think if they're looking at it this way, they should to- totally be keeping an eye on this and send people there now, like whoever. I don't know if it's security. I don't know if it's like they call they call the sh- like freaking Dr. Nick Riviera, whatever. Call someone and like send them over to Arizona. Get this guy in a freaking padded room. Get him help because it's going to end badly and it's going to look bad on the league. You know, and that's what I'm saying right now in terms of that. Like, get help, whatever the hell. Like, he needs to do that ASAP, basically. All right. Since this is the run-in with Joe, that's a wrestling term to run in. We're going to end each segment for now on with a, a finisher. We'll call it a finisher for the week. You got a finisher? I cannot stand Beef on Weck. Oh, my God. You got to be that fucking my, kidding me. That's my finisher. I'm sick of beef on whack. I don't know. I saw like in, in the Twitter verse about beef on whack and like the wings and food. That is my finisher. I think beef on whack sucks. Why? I think it's just, dude, it's salty. All it is is a salty sandwich. Who wants a salty sandwich? When you eat a sandwich, Pat, and you have turkey, like a turkey sandwich, are you putting salt all over the bread? No. And why would you? You put salt in like hot things. <laughs> There's put, kibble you know, you know, roast beef. No. Beef on Weck is the most if, if wings weren't overrated enough last week when I was on this podcast, it's beef on whack. Dude, Get beef on whack out of here. You've been in it New York sucks. too long. How how have you ever lived in Buffalo? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I look, the only thing I like about the Buffalo food scene is like the bar food, like sandwiches, fries. Pizza logs, I like that. But beef on whack and wings, I, get out of here. Okay, get, get, it's okay. Beef on whack, I have no respect for. Wings, I have some respect for, but beef on whack, no. That is my finisher. It is look, it, beef could come in way better ways than having some Kaiser roll that's got like salt in it, and then oh, here's some beef. That's it. No, when I have a sandwich, I want a sandwich with like condiments on it. I want some peppers. I want some lettuce, tomatoes. I want a bunch of stuff on that sandwich. I don't want it to be just beef and bread. That's terrible. That is my finisher of the week. There is no one who kicks out of that. Okay? It's a stone-cold stunner out of nowhere, man. All right, that's a wrap for this episode. Man, it felt good to be back doing this podcast. One more time, huge thank you to former Buffalo Bills center Eric Wood for doing the show. Loved having him on. One of my favorite guests yet. Such a great guy, such a great talker. And like I said at the top, I'm telling you right now, you could book it. This guy is going to have a big future in the media when it comes to football. I guarantee you that. Guarantee you that. You know what? I also need to send a little bit of love to Eric Turner from The Athletic and Cover One because he's the guy who helped me facilitate getting Eric Wood on the show. So major props to you, Eric. 
I also wanted to thank my buddy Joe for doing our Running with Joe segment that we do from time to time. That's always fun. Guys, if you haven't done it already, will you please go to iTunes and subscribe to this podcast? It's quick. It's easy. It's free. You hit that subscribe button and then bam, new episodes automatically get sent to your phone. Play them, check them out, delete them after so that your phone doesn't get stored up with too many files um, downloaded and stuff like that because it does make your phone slower. And I've heard a couple of people complain about that. So delete them, listen to them and then delete them. That's all you got to do. If you don't have iTunes, you can catch us on Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, pretty much like I always say, anywhere future award-winning podcasts are heard. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pabaran Tweets. Have yourself a good, safe weekend. Enjoy the Bills game on Sunday. I'm sure we'll have plenty more to talk about when this podcast airs again on Tuesday morning. Peace out. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough and the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.